Thank God for His presence here today. Amen. Thank God for His presence. Amen. Thank God for His presence. I would not want to come to church and not be able to sense, feel the presence of the Lord. I would not want to come where I could not feel like there was an answer in that place. Whatever my problems are, whatever I'm going through, whatever trouble I'm in, that there is an answer. And there is an answer in the house today. So good to see you. Turn, smile at somebody, shake hands and tell them it's good to see them in the house of the Lord today. up this morning thankful for fall weather finally. Anybody? Oh, hallelujah. I don't know if y'all know that, but I brought that back with me. I wish that I had that kind of influence over things with God, but I don't. But I am thankful that it's here. Amen. Acts chapter 2. I think God must have been speaking very clearly this morning. I had come intending to preach in a completely different direction. And uh, when I woke up early this morning, Acts chapter 2, the Lord impressed on my mind to read it again. And I thought in my mind, Lord, I've read that. I know what it says. He said, read it again. And so I started reading it, and I didn't get through with it. I'll tell you that right now. I got sidetracked. I want to direct your attention to Acts chapter 2, verse number 22, down through verse 28. While you're turning, let me say how thankful we are to have guests with us. Good to have the Wilpitz family. Amen. Service is going to be completed today with baptism, and we're going to have a great time baptizing their children. I love it when our kids get ready to be baptized. That's, that's what it's all about. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Underline those three words. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders which and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him, whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him. And this is where Peter goes back into the Old Testament And he draws out one of the Psalms of David. And he begins to rehearse before these men what David had said so many hundreds of years before. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. 
Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to be to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And everybody said amen. <clears throat> now if you want to know where he drew that from, you will find that portion of scripture found in the 16th Psalm. And it might do you good to just turn over there and put your finger in it and hold on to that because we're going to visit this psalm. <clears throat> Certainly, Paul or Peter in preaching on the day of Pentecost saw the relative uh, connection between what David had said prophetically about a time to come and he draws the parallel between what Jesus had gone through and what he had done in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But what I want to focus on and what got my attention today is what was it? Where was David when David wrote this psalm? And what was he going through? Because the psalm was first about David before it was about Messiah. And so I want to direct your attention for just a few moments this morning and I want to talk to you about the way of life. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I think all of you would agree that we live in a very troubling time when it seems, and I, I don't want to be negative this morning, but I just, I'm going to speak my heart, it seems that all of the old guidelines of life and living have been broken down. We live in a time when the moral standard of our world is being swept away by a tide. Uh, I don't even know what you call it. It, it certainly uh, is a, a, an evil and wicked thing to see the morality of a people disintegrate before our eyes and to watch as the fabric of who we are and what we are as a nation is unraveled on a daily basis. There are among us those who are very fearful today of what is coming there's a lot of confusion and our government system that has been so strong and has been so robust through so many years has suddenly weakened and now we seem to be a confused and drunken nation and stumbling toward who knows what is ahead of us. And I have listened as well as you over the last few weeks and months as the prognosticators and all of the fear mongers have pinpointed all of the things that are wrong with our world and everything that's wrong with our situation and all that's wrong with our government. And, and you listen to that long enough and it just drives you to your wits end. And the, you, you start looking at the world in a different light. You look at life in this jaundice 
way and, and you look at your life, you begin to even look at your own life and all of a sudden all you see is what's wrong. I wrote down, I don't even know when I wrote it down, several weeks ago, God deliver me from the spirit of only seeing what's wrong. <laughs> and you know, it's amazing. People come into church. You come into church. You come into a situation. And because of the negative climate that we live in, because there is so much fear and there is so much uncertainty about our world, when we look at things, that's how we initially look at it. We look to see what's wrong before we look to see what's right. And so that's the world that we live in. People are turning to professional help. They are not only turning to professional help, but they are surfing the internet. It is amazing. When you go ever so often, I go, and I don't know how it is on your web search, but I use Yahoo most of the time. And over in the right corner, it is the most recent search uh, history of those of what people are interested in. And, and it changes daily. But what is amazing to me is what people are searching for. Now, the news is over here, who cheated on who, and who broke what law, and who ought to be arrested, and who was arrested, and who was killed. But over here, there is this window into the soul of America. And one thing that I saw not too many months ago was the most researched word of that week had been the word love, L-O-V-E. Now, we live in, in, in 2013. We, we, we have intelligence. We've got, uh, we've got scholars that have written. There's more books written about love today than has ever been written about love. And yet the number one search, the number one inquiry from people in general, just like you and I, was wanting to know the meaning of love. That tells me that it doesn't matter what's happening in the world. The truth is that men and women are still grappling with the fundamental needs and problems of life. And they are, does anybody love me? Does anybody care for me? Does anybody understand my situation? Does anyone know where I am? And when I look at those things, I realize even more how desperately our world needs the message that I am going to try to preach to you this morning. Because it doesn't matter where you look and where you go. The answer is still found in God. That's where the answer is found. It's not found in surfing the internet. It's not found in delving into Eastern mysticism. It is not found by getting together and socializing or throwing away your morals and just living as free and loose as you can. But the answer to life and the answer to how life can be best lived and how to succeed in life and how to overcome in life, the answer is still found in this old black book right here. And if you will just open it up and begin to read it, 
you will find within its pages life, L-I-F-E. You will find not only life, but you will find hope. You will find in the pages of that word something that will inspire you to want to get up and lift up your head and look away from your problems and look to one who has the answer and is the answer to every problem in my life. And somebody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Someone that can help me. You, you see, everybody, it doesn't matter who it is, everybody's looking for a way out. We're looking for a way out. I listened to the news this, this week and I listened to uh, the pundits and then I listened to the experts uh, give their assessment and they argue among one another. It, it, it's like nobody knows, but everybody wants to think they know. And everybody's talking at the same time. You ever, you ever get sick of that? You ever get sick of just listening to everybody, yep, 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 and nobody's saying anything? We're not getting anywhere. We're not going where we need to go. We're still stuck in the same. Does it ever occur to anybody that the house is on fire and sitting in the house arguing about it being on fire is not the answer? Somebody better get up and find a way to put the fire out. Somebody better get up and find a way out of the house. And so we live, with, but everybody wants to know, is there a way out? Is, is there a way through all this? Because every one of us want to know that there is a way out. There's a way through what we're going through, right? There's a way out of the situation that we're in. And we're seeking somebody or something that can show us the way through this. Because we need to know there is a way. Uh, there's nothing more hopeless. I don't even like to listen to that stuff anymore, but there's nothing any more hopeless than going to bed with Fox News on your mind. And worse than that, there's nothing worse than going to bed with CNN news on your mind. Or MSNBC or whatever news reel you listen to, whoever it is, the worst thing you can do to your life is to go to bed with all of that garbage and all of that junk recycling over and over and over. You know what? The best way to go to sleep is still, you say, oh, Brother Hughes, it puts me to sleep. That's what I'm talking about. There's something about the Word of God that is so peaceful, that is so overwhelming that when you're read it. It'll make you go to sleep. It'll help you sleep through the night. It'll give you confidence to get up in the morning and say, you know what? It may be dark and dreary, but God is with me and God is for me and God is going to help me. Hallelujah. Amen. Life at its best is confusing for everybody. Life is more than that. It is many times overwhelming. And it is burdensome and it is painful and it is uncertain. And if one is not careful, you can buy into the mentality that there is just no way out. There is no way through. But I'm thankful for the Word of God. And I saw this this morning and it just jumped out at me. I've read this so many times and I don't, I'm not bragging about that. I've just read chapter 2 of Acts so many times in my lifetime 
that I almost, when people start reading it or quoting it, I can go right along with them because it's just in me. I know. And I've read this portion of this particular chapter, but it never got hold of me like it did early this morning when God began to speak to me about a man who just like you was in trying time. You see, before this was a psalm about the Messiah, this was a song about David's life and his experience. And it was written during a time when Saul was pursuing him. And the Bible says of Saul that he pursued David every day. Think about that. Every day that David woke up, he knew that Saul was after him. Every day he got up. I don't care how pretty the sun was shining. I don't care how sweet the birds were singing. I don't care how melodious the brook was. I don't care how beautiful the forest was. David remembered and was reminded that Saul is after you. He hates you. He's going to kill you. He's going to destroy you. He's not going to let you have your inheritance. He's not going to let you enjoy the benefits of your family. He is after you. And every day David woke up knowing that Saul was after him. But more than that, there were days when David woke up and Saul was after him. He was on his trail. And there are two times that David and Saul wound up in the same cave and Saul didn't even know it. And it was there that David made his presence known. And on one of those occasions, this particular psalm was believed to have been written after David escaped that very, very dangerous thing. And he stood on the other side of the, the valley and he called out to Saul and reminded Saul of how close he was and what he could have done to him and what he could have taken from him. But he didn't. He said, I have this bottle of water. I have this cruise of water and I have this garment. And it even that smote him because he didn't want to raise his hand against God's leadership. And so it was that way for David. There were times when life was hot and heavy for him. And during one of those times, David began to see the hand of God. He saw God working in his life. He saw God moving impossible situation. He saw God making a way. There's just no way. Here he is, hemmed up in a cave, caught in his own trap. He thought he was escaping, but he had been trapped. Saul is in the front of the cave. David is in the back of the cave. Now you tell me, I I don't know that it's changed a whole lot different. I do know this, that when President Bush or President Obama, if he were to come to our church this morning, I'm going to tell you what would have happened a week ago. He would have sent surveillance people in. He would have bugged this place. He would have made sure there was no Nobody anywhere remotely close to this place that could do any harm. They do that over and over again. I don't think the protocol back then was a whole lot different. I believe Saul sent his men into that cave and they made sure it was a safe place for Saul to be. And somehow, I don't know how, Jewish history says that God caused a spider to web, uh, uh, to, to spin a web over the area of 
the cave where David was. That's what the Jewish people teach their children. Because in the 16th Psalm, there is an indication of God's protection in that kind of difficult environment. I don't know how God did it. All I know was David was in that cave. Saul was in that cave. And it could have very well been the end of his life. But somehow God miraculously spared him. God protected him. God saved him. Does anybody hear what I'm saying this morning? I don't care what circumstances around you may say. If God has his hand on your life, the devil cannot get to you. Nobody else can get to you. And there is no trouble that can get to you if God has his hand on your life. Hallelujah. There he was in that cave and Saul is there. He can hear the slow breathing of Saul in the night. He can hear him as he heaves and and he sighs in his sleepness. Oh, God, how are you? How are you doing this? But God did it. And then David escapes out of the cave and he calls back to Saul and tells Saul what had happened. Saul wasn't even aware of it. Now listen, folks, if God would do that for David... Don't you think God would do that for you that filled with his spirit and washed in his blood and called by his name? Wouldn't you think that the God who kept David is able to keep you? So much so that you may even wind up in the same location as your enemy. But your enemy can't hurt you. You can wind up in the same cave. You can be in the same location. You can be in the same spot. And yet no matter what the enemy tries to do, he cannot get to you. Oh. My Lord, God put his hand on David and David was spared and God showed David something. God showed David something in that setting that David never forgot. So much so that if you read that psalm, the very first of the psalm, how many of you have a Bible up above the psalm that says mictum? Anybody have a Bible like that? There's only, there's only a few of those mictum psalms. There's this one. And there's 56, 57, 58, 59, and 60. Those are the only Psalms that have that title, Mictum, over the top of it. The history of that word is not real certain. They, they don't know exactly what he meant, but the indication is that there was something so profound that it happened in David's life that he basically was saying, listen folks, if you don't get anything else out of the rest of the stuff that I write, if you don't get another word out of any other song or any other word that's recorded, you better sit up and listen to what I'm telling you right now. If you don't hear anything else I'm telling you, you've got to hear what I'm going to try to tell you in this song. You're going to have to listen to it. You're going to have to sing it. You're going to have to rehearse it until it becomes your song as well because David's said, God showed me something in the middle of my trial, in the middle of my trouble, in the midst of my enemy, in the midst of all that could go wrong and everything that was against me. God showed me something. You know what, folks? It's a wonderful thing when God can show you something. 
When God can pull the curtain of life and allow you to see the real setup that you are looking at life from one perspective and what you see is just so tangled but you get over on God's side and you see the weaving and the tapestry and the perfection of his work and his beauty and that's what God did for David God brought him to a perspective he brought him to a revelation he brought him to a place where he could show him the situation and the setting and when God showed David his setting it changed David's attitude it changed David's spirit. It changed his mind. And he began to praise God for what God had shown him. You know what I am fearful of? I am fearful that there are too many of us that God can't show anything to anymore. We know too much. We've heard too Worse than that, I've been through too much, Brother Hughes. I've, I've had to deal with too much. Big deal. The trouble is, far too few of us are really hearing what God's trying to say. But God showed him. And what God showed him, listen to me, it sustained him through everything that life threw at him. It sustained him. What David learned about life was so pivotal to his survival that when he wrote it, he said, listen, don't ever forget this psalm. Don't ever forget these words. The Greek or the Hebrew word means to etch in stone. That means I want you to preserve these thoughts. I don't want you to ever forget what I'm telling you. Don't just write it on a piece of paper, but take a chisel and a hammer and chisel it out in stone so that it will be there forever. Because what I'm going to teach you about life is the secret to survival and the way to get through whatever it is that you're going through when life has cut you off. When life has thrown you out, when you have been overwhelmed by troubles, when the enemies that are against you are more than the men that are for you, when you are with your back against the wall, God said, David, let me show you what's really going on. Let me show you what I have done and where I am and what I am and who I am for you. And when David saw Oh my God, it changed his life. It turned him around. It made everything in his life completely different because of what God showed him. It moved David from, listen to me, it moved David from survival mode to victory mode. Ooh, hallelujah. You know what survival mode is? Survival mode. Oh, oh, thank God I made it to church. Oh, God. Worship. Oh, you folks, if y'all only knew how tired I was, y'all wouldn't expect me to get up. Brother Hughes, if you knew how many troubles I had, you wouldn't, want, you, you wouldn't expect me to smile. If you knew what I had to deal with before I came to church tonight, if, if you knew what was going on in my family, 
If you knew my financial situation, you'd know why I'm, I'm like I am. That's survival mode. That's when you are listening to your enemies and you are actually allowing the presence of your enemy to form the perspective and the view of your life. That's when you are allowing what is against you to become the determining factor of what happens to you. And in this psalm, in this setting, David's hiding. (laughs) That's that's the irony. David is hiding. He thinks he's hiding. But God really hid him. You know, some of us, we think we're so smart. We outfox everybody. We're, we, 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 we do the IRS. We can, we, we can, we can, we can get by here. We, we, we just, we're slick. We know how to do things. And here is old slick David. He's, he's found himself this hiding place nobody can find. And here comes old blundering Saul right into the middle of his hiding place. Isn't it strange that we think we're hiding, but God's really the one that's hiding. He's the one that pulls us back a little further. He's the one that puts the web across the opening of the mouth. He's the one that makes the shadow. He's the one that causes the sun to stand still. He's the one that preserves that space of time that will give you an opportunity to win the battle. God does that, not us. That's not, not what we can do. Here David is trying to hide. God's really hiding him. And here in this setting, God began to show him something. And when you go, you need to go home and read the 16th Psalm. But there, the first three things that happened to David is he called on the name of the Lord and he named, he called God by three different names. El, which was which which was a short version of Elohim, which was God the creator, God the maker, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. He called him Elohim. He called him Jehovah, which was the mediator, the go-between, the God of covenant, the God who comes in agreement with us. And he never breaks his agreement. We break ours. We fail. But God never breaks his covenant. The, the God of covenant. The God who made an agreement. And then he calls him uh, uh, El Shaddai or something of that. He's, he's talking about God in the form of worship. Adonai, the, the Lord. That, that was the word. Adonai, the Lord. My Lord. My Master. My King. So... What I'm trying to get to you to to understand is that when God began to show David the real setting, God touched first David's eyes so that David could see himself not in the presence of his enemy, not in the presence of his problem, not in the presence of what was wrong, not in the presence of what was not going right, not in the presence of what was not working, but God showed him in his presence. And there's a big difference between living in the presence of your enemy 
are living in the presence of your maker. Because when you live in the presence of your enemy, you're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to be run down. You're going to get wore out. You're going to get tired of running after a while. But when you live in the presence of the creator, when you live in the presence of the covenant maker, when you live in the presence of your Lord and master, you can be in the very pit of hell and it doesn't matter. You can be living in a hellish situation and it doesn't matter. You can be living with a hellion and it doesn't matter. You can be working for a hellion and it doesn't matter. You can be living in a country that's gone to hell in a handbasket and it doesn't matter. Because you live not in the presence of your enemy. Not in the presence of your problems. Not in the presence of what's not right or what's not working in your life. But you live in the presence of God. That wherever you go, God goes with you. That if you go down into the darkest places of life, that if life takes you down into hell, the Bible said that He's there with me. He's going to be there beside me. And He is going to help me get out. Oh, is there Brother Hughes, where does it say that? Well, I'll tell you where it says it. He said, you will not leave my soul in hell. That's the promise that God gave David. Before it became a messianic promise, it was David's promise. David said, you're not going to leave me in this hell. Whatever that might be. And I'm not cursing. I'm just saying there's some hellish situations that come to us in life. There are things that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy that happens to God's people. I'm talking about God-fearing, God-loving, Bible-reading, faith people. I'm talking about people that pray and do the best they can. And there are hellish things that happen. There are heartbreaks. There are things that are too deep to mention this morning that happen. But you listen to me. If you can ever start listening living in the presence of God that no matter where you are God is there he's with me when I get up in the morning he's with me when I go to bed at night he's with me when I'm in hell he's with me when I'm going through hell he's with me when I'm in misery God is with me no matter where I am oh, it'll change your attitude Woo. Oh, yeah, it'll change your attitude. It'll change your outlook on life. You'll quit being depressed. You'll quit being overwhelmed. You'll quit being fearful. Uh, You might even get a little dance back in you. Oh, you know, it's been so long since some of you danced, it's almost embarrassing. Some of you I can't move. Oh, yes, you can. If I stomped on your toe, you could move. Oh, yeah, if something bad happened, you could move. Somebody stuck a gun in your ribs, you can move. I'm not trying to stick a gun in you. I'm just trying to tell you. You're not living in the presence of your enemy. You're living in the presence of your God. And when you get that in your mind, 
and you start living like that, it doesn't matter what happens on the job. It doesn't matter what happens at work. It doesn't matter what happens at home. It doesn't matter what happens in the neighborhood. It doesn't matter what happens with the economy. It doesn't matter what happens with the school system. It doesn't matter what happens anywhere in life. When you're living in the presence of God, there's something down inside that said, you know what? This ain't the end of the story. This isn't how it's going to end. This isn't the way it's going to be written. I'm coming out of this thing. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm just here to tell somebody this morning, there is a way out. There is a way over. There's a way through whatever you're going through. And it begins in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Come on, stand with me. My time's already got away. I I got about 15 pages more notes. Oh, (laughs) my. Can I just go back and read the psalm again? Maybe it'll mean a little more to you now. David said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. I saw the Lord always before. When did that happen? I'm going to tell you when it happened. It happened when God was able to move David to a place where he could see. And he showed him. He showed him how he had made that spider or whatever it was, weave that web or do whatever was done to protect him. He showed him every step of his life. He showed him the anointing. He took him back to his beginning. When Samuel came looking for the next king, when Samuel came looking for the next leader of God's people because God had rejected Saul, and all of David's brothers came before him, and they were all more qualified, they were more handsome, all of those things, you know the story. And all of them came by, but David was left in the field to be forgotten. You listen to me. When God has a destiny for your life, nobody can forget you. Nobody can leave you out in the cold. They may marginalize you. They may push you to the corner. They may think, you know what, you're you're never going to make it. But if God has a purpose for your life. And Samuel says, well, now, now, is there not... Any more of your house? David's dad said, well, yeah, there's one boy. He's down there in the field. Go get him. Here comes David with his sling hanging out his pocket. Got his shepherd clothes on. And when Samuel saw him, that's him. He took that anointing oil and he poured it over David's head. David, David's remembering this now. God's showing him. When your family had, when even your father had ostracized, he had, he had just eliminated you as having any potential. God called him and he brought you all that, that oil was pouring down. And he said, Samuel said, David, David, you're going to rule over the house of Israel. Not only that, out of your loins is going to come the real ruler of Israel and the world. 
Oh, listen to me, church. Listen to me. Hear your preacher this morning. David's in a cave right now. His enemy is within striking distance. He can reach out and touch him if he wants to. And God's got a barrier there. God won't let him get through to him. And God starts rehearsing all of this through David's mind. David, listen to me. Nothing that Saul can do to you can stop you from your destiny. Nothing that Saul has planned can stop what I have purposed for your life. <laughs> David began to see. God began to show him. I wonder what God's trying to show some of us about our life. I wonder what God's trying to get you lifted up enough so that you can see your life in the way God sees it and understand that it's not some mass commotion. It's not pandemonium. It's not this erratic here, there, up, down, ups, upside down. That's not my life. But God has a purpose. And I am not my circumstances. I am not what I am in right now. I have an anointing on my life. I have something for my life to be purposed to do and I have a destiny and God said David you need to see that and when David saw that oh my Lord my Lord when, when, when he saw that he said I foresaw the Lord always before me always for he is on my right hand that, now listen folks don't be, don't be mis, misled by that the right hand I want to ask you a question how many of you know that the Bible says God is omnipresent? Anybody? You don't know that word? That means God's everywhere. Okay, listen to me. If God is everywhere, where's his right hand? It's not a literal, it's a figurative thing. It is a, it's speaking about the place of power, the place of authority. So don't let the Trinitarian confuse you and make you, well, it does say the right hand. Well, figure out where that right hand is and come and show me and I'll try to help you understand when God's everywhere, where is His? There's not a literal right hand. It's a place. It's a power. It's an authority. But He said, when I saw God, and I saw my life, and I saw God's protection, and I saw God's hand, even in the presence of my enemy, He said, there I was on the right hand, that I should not be moved. This isn't doing for you what it did for me. I can tell you that. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall, not re shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Oh, folks, that alone is worth the whole Sunday morning, just to know, to leave here today knowing that God's not going to leave me in this hell. <laughs> That God's not going to leave me in this hellish situation. God's not going to leave me. He's not going to forget me. He's not going to leave me in this hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. And the psalm says, In thy presence is fullness of joy at thy right hand pleasures forevermore oh God would you show somebody the way of would you show somebody the way of life the way of life 
Amen. You see it? You see it. It's a path that leads to the glory world. The question is, where does that path begin? Where does the path of life begin? Where? It begins right here in your hell. It begins right here in your trouble. It begins right here in your disturbing situation. That's where the path of life begins. Right here in all of your hurt and your misery and your pain. Right where you are right now. God said there's a way out. My God. There's a way out. There's a way through. Lift up your head. Lift up your eyes. Come on, look up. Look up. Lift up your head. Oh, your gates and be you lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Oh, if I could just get somebody to listen. If I could just get somebody here to let God show you where you are. And show you that there is nothing that your enemy can do against you. There's nothing he can purpose against you that's going to succeed. Because God has a plan for your life. Lift up your hands to him right now and thank him for that. Hallelujah. Oh my God, my God, my God, my God. We love you this morning.